Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. Mastering Mandarin in the modern world. That's a question that's quite important these days. How do you do it? How do you master Mandarin or any language with the technologies that are available to us now in 2020? Well, we we just wrote a book called Mastering Mandarin in the Modern World, and we figured that it would be a good chance to preview it in the podcast today. I'll read the foreword, and we'll give you a sense of what the book's about. So this is the foreword from the new book by Luke Neal and Phil Crimmins called Mastering Mandarin in the Modern World. The evolution happened right under your nose. Foreign language learning has been masquerading as an academic pursuit for centuries. People can even get university degrees in a language. I did. Which betrays that we've made a category error when it comes to language acquisition. Achieving literacy and fluency in a language is not an academic subject, and therefore, using techniques derived from an academia to acquire a new language is a mistake. Here's the bad news. The legacy momentum of our educational systems has prevented foreign language departments from upgrading their curriculums. If you go to a university to study Japanese, you'll end up in one of the worst environments you could ask for to properly acquire a language, the classroom with a whiteboard, teachers, and textbooks. That's not going away, and it's only going to go from horribly expensive to prohibitively expensive. But here's the good news. Technological and theoretical evolution in language learning has eliminated the need for academic academia to play any part. The resources and technology available today are far more powerful tools of education than classrooms ever were. For a fraction of university tuition, you can reach far higher levels of fluency and pass state-certified exams, therefore rendering the higher education of university obsolete. Here's the rub. The evolution is decentralized. A new book here, a web app there, and countless online resources, all with different levels of exposure. As a result, many people simply don't realize that they have other options. They see an overwhelming ocean of content online, throw up their hands and say, well, can't make heads or tails of this, might as well bite the bullet and go to a university. Stop punishing yourself. Let us remove the obstacle called, I don't know how to navigate this ocean of online content. We'll tell you exactly what works and what doesn't, and we'll use Mandarin to make the most persuasive case. If you can learn frickin' Mandarin with only free or affordable online resources, then you can learn any language. Treat this book as an opportunity. It will be your guide to all the resources, technologies, and mindsets necessary to master language acquisition in general, and Mandarin in particular. Not only can you master Mandarin, but the tools at your fingertips have made it faster and more fun than ever before. The best part is, after reading this book, you'll be able to do it without leaving your house. If you're interested in checking out the book Mastering Mandarin in the Modern World, you can go to our website, mandarinblueprint.com, and you'll see it in the resources section of the website. So thanks so much, and I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. Today's grammar point is GW Relator Give to PPT Jitsu Gay. Uh, This tag is related to the character gay, which means to give, but it can also be a preposition or what we like to call a relator. So uh, PPT in the tag stands for person, place, or thing. Just an easier way to say a noun because uh, a noun, again, it's just any of these grammatical terms, whether it's a noun, adjective, verb, even those terms that most of us kind of get, it's still based on an idea of analytical grammar understanding after a language is already acquired. So what we're trying to do here is give you better ways to think of what it is to be a preposition or to be a noun or to be a verb. And in the case of a preposition, what they're doing is they're relating two things. Sometimes a person to another person, it's a person to an object, it's a distance to another distance, places, whatever. Gay relates things in a way of usually meaning either for or it's uh trying to create a target from one uh, person to another. But let's take a look at the different usages of gay. And today we'll talk about two of them, and there's two other ones that are a little bit more advanced that we'll talk about later. But one of them is just straight up. It's a verb meaning to give, in which case it's not a relator. It's not a preposition in that case. And so we'll give that as an example to sort of set the framework. But then uh, 
then we'll move on to the relator usage, the preposition usage, which means essentially for. For example, all my hard, hard work I do for my family. It can also be used as an emphasizer in spoken language when you combine it with the uh, character ba, which is used to shift the object in front of the verb. But again, we'll talk about that later. And it can also be a passive voice indicator uh, as opposed to be. But um, we'll, again, we'll talk about that in a future article. So since gay is such an important character, it's really important to master. So let's take a look at some sentences to give you an idea of how this works. So sentence one is its verb usage. 我给你钱. 我给你钱. Here's some money for you. And when gay is a verb, first of all, you can always recognize that it's the verb because it's the only thing that could possibly be the verb in the sentence. So we have uh, 我, which is a pronoun for I, 你, which is a pronoun for you, and 钱, which is clearly a noun meaning money. So the only possible verb in the sentence is gay. So you know that it's not the uh, preposition usage or the relator usage when it's like that. And when it's a verb, you can actually just... Uh, directly say it to somebody. For example, if you're just reaching your hand out to give somebody something, you can just say gay in that moment and they'll know, okay, you're giving that to me. Um, and so if there are any other verbs in the sentence, then it's likely that gay is in its relator form. So let's take a look at a couple of sentences here to give you a, a sense of that. 他经常打电话给我。他经常打电话给我。he frequently calls me on the phone. Now, before we uh, take a look at this sentence, let's take a look at another sentence that's very similar but slightly different in its structure. 他给你打了电话以后要出去吃饭. After he gives you a call, he'll go out to eat. So we've taken a look at these two sentences, and you'll notice that in both of the sentences, the main verb is 打电话, to make a phone call. Uh, but in the two sentences, gay is on both sides of the, uh, it's, it's on both sides of the verb. So it can actually be before the verb or it can be after the verb. So in both of these sentences, gay relates to giving a call to who. In other words, gay helps show the target of the verb. So in the first sentence, 他经常打电话给我, it's subject plus action plus gay plus target, and in the second sentence, 他给你打了电话以后要出去吃饭. It's the subject plus gay plus target plus action. So what's interesting is that you can have gay on either side of it. Now, it comes before the verb more often than after it, but let's look at a common scenario of it coming after. Here's sentence number four. 请把你右边的那本书拿给我。Please hand over the book on your right-hand side. So here we notice that it's na gay. Na is the primary verb, which means uh, to uh, hold or pick up. Let's look at the next sentence here. Mama, Mom gave her daughter a camera. So here we have gay. So we once again, song means to, in this case, song has a couple of potential meanings, but it means uh, to give a gift. So, song is the verb. Gay indicates that there's a target, and then whatever comes after it is the target of the verb. So, in the first sentence, it was na gay wo. Na gay wo. Right? So, that's the target is wo. In the second sentence, it's song gay nuar. So, the target is nuar, the daughter. So in both these sentences, gay comes after a one-syllable verb. It's often when it comes after, it's after a one-syllable verb, like na and song. Um, and it indicates a target. Again, this is not an ironclad rule that it's like a one-syllable word. Uh, verbs precede gay and two-syllable or more words come after gay. But it comes most, most often in this format. So now that you know the potential structures gay can have as a relator, you'll notice it all the time. It comes up very, very frequently. So use this video and this article to note the ways that you can correctly use gay, and your input will be that much faster. Remember, as always, grammar rules are meant to help you recognize patterns, not to teach you the pattern in the first place. So, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter that sometimes it's before or after the verb. The main thing is just to know that you can do that. Um, you know, one of the things that Katsumoto always used to say that really st struck me with uh, all Japanese all the time on his website was that 
if you want to uh, get across that something can be done grammatically, that's as far as you should take it. Just say this is acceptable. You can do something. If you can put gay after the verb and you can put gay before the verb and you see examples of where it's done that way, that's all you need to do. You don't need to ask why, and you especially don't need to ask why when something is wrong. If, if you say something a certain way and a Chinese person or a Chinese teacher tells you this is actually incorrect, that's as far as you should take it. That didn't work. Do not investigate why because that's – well, I'm not saying don't investigate why. Just recognize that investigating why is not helping you acquire language. It's helping you maybe understand how the language is structured, but that doesn't help you acquire the language really. So just bear that in mind as you move forward. Okay, is essentially getting across the target of the verb. So if you want to get across that there's some sort of target, when it's in that relator form, uh, that's the way it's used. So that should help you. And when you want to see more sentences that have this form, look up the uh, tag in your flashcard software, GW Relator, give to PPT. Next, we'll move on to the comments and emails that came in this week. Uh, I had a lot of great stuff come in. So let's uh, start with the comment by Chris Peebles in the community forum. He says, hi, everyone. I just wanted to share my personal experience with the Mandarin Blueprint. I've been wanting to learn Chinese for many years. So about a year ago, I decided to finally give it a, give it a try. However, like what was mentioned in some of the posts, I tried many of my own strategies, either completely top-down or completely bottom-up, both of which were based solely on rote memorization, and I just became discouraged. That's not surprising. One day, however, I became so frustrated, I decided to start back at ground zero. So I did a Google search about Chinese curriculum. I was fortunate enough to discover the Mandarin Blueprint. This has allowed me to drastically increase the rate at which I learn the language. Finally, I feel like I'm actually accomplishing something. I just began phase three, and it just feels so magical that I can read and understand complete sentences without pinyin. The method is fun, and more importantly, highly effective. I just wanted to send a shout out to Luke and Phil and the rest of the team at Mandarin Blueprint. Well, thanks so much, Chris. And, you know, it's not at all surprising that rote memorization would be uh, discouraging because it is in and of itself a just it's just such a drudgery. You know, and, and then it doesn't even work that well. So it's such a frustrating experience to do rote learning. And uh, that's the whole reason we made Mandarin Blueprint was to try to make that a thing of the past. So I'm so glad to hear that you're finding the course to be so effective. Next, Aaron Michael Ho in the community forum. Morning all. Started working on Shen this morning, which is uh, the 10th character in the Mandarin Blueprint method. And the video brought in the syringe prop. I was wondering, what is the difference between the prop syringe and the prop crucifix? What made the prop crucifix better for, for gan and ban and the prop syringe better for shen? Well, it's not that it's better. It's that it's an alternative. So um, the what Aaron's referring to is the prop that we choose to represent shi, which means uh, 10 by itself, but it also just looks like a plus sign. And it's... We go with the Christian cross or the crucifix because it looks like it. So that's one what tr potential prop you could choose. But the syringe relates to the fact that uh, shi is the primary component in the character for needle. And syringe is just a great prop because if you imagine a syringe full of like some neon green liquid or something and you inject your cat with it and it turns into cat super superman or super cat, then that could be a really cool scene. And so you can imagine that there's a natural logic to I inject somebody with something and then there's some kind of reaction. And that's the type of thing that really hooks into your memory. So we just say, okay, you could choose one of those two props. You could even maybe choose both of them. You could sometimes use syringe and sometimes use Christian cross. Um, or you could save Christian cross for something else or save syringe for something else. The point we're making in the course is that you have more than one option. And when you're this early in the course... You might as well just go with the main suggestions we give you, but just remember that as you uh, continue, you may find that um, you may find that you're really good at picking your own props. And if you pick your own props, that's going to be even stronger because it comes the derivation of the prop is your own lived experience. So hopefully that helps you answer that question. Phil Chalinor by email, great name. 
Loving the course, I first tried learning Mandarin with the Michael Thomas method about 12 years ago. I haven't heard of that. Uh, I'll check that out. Or maybe it's Michelle Thomas. I don't know. Um, it was good, but I was frustrated that I had no clue how to read Chinese so I could take control of my learning, and all the books I looked at had no actual method for learning characters. They just said unhelpful things like lots of characters are pictographs and would show, show the character for mu, which is like tree. Uh, that's obviously not helpful for most characters that don't look anything like what they represent. <laughs> yeah, that's like 85% of characters, yeah. Uh, no, 96% of characters. Uh, they'd also just show you how to draw the characters, and I didn't have the inclination to spend hours learning them by constant repetition as I speak other languages too and wanted to read stuff in those languages. Plus, I have a full-time job, <laughs> right? I pretty much gave up for that reason, though it's always been a nagging regret that I did so. I saw your ad on Facebook and was really interested. I got the Pronunciation Mastery course first, and I loved it, and then subscribed halfway through for the full course. The Hanzi movie method for learning the characters is terrific. It's really addictive as well. I blasted through the first 12 levels and 100 characters in 11 days because I was really enthused by the method, and I know it's going to get quicker now. I've learned so many of the components that make up the other characters. It's great being able to have a mnemonic for each character, so I understand why it looks like it does. I've been using AnkiWeb for over two years now to keep me up to speed with vocabulary in other languages I speak, and so the spaced repetition was really a good aspect of the course for me. I still learned some things I didn't know about uh, Anki from lessons you include on it, on it, though. I'm due to start level 13 today, and really looking forward to getting into the sentences now. I've got enough characters down to start reading without pinyin. Really brilliant course. Well done for this, Phil. Well, thanks, Phil. And, um, you know, it's this is such a common thing that we find is that people try other methods and then they find themselves sort of disenfranchised of the method and then go, oh, well, I got to find something better. And so I have a lot of respect for uh, people who do this because they're essentially, they're just not easily able to give up, right? Like they don't just go, well, this didn't work, so I'm going to give up. People who really take the Mandarin blueprint method seriously end up having a lot of success because of the type of people who go, this didn't work, so I'm going to find something else that does. And I'm just glad that we finally have a, a the ability to provide that for people, uh, you know, because before it really was quite a challenge to find something that really works. Awesome, Phil. Glad to have you on the course. Al Roy by email. He says, with the arrival of warmer weather, I've taken my Anki studies out to the backyard, very much enjoying this process of having conversations with imaginary people as I go through the cards. The neighbors, if they can hear me over the background noise, must think I'm pretty weird by now, but it's all good. <laughs> the more card just rolled around, and I made an end of it pretty quick. So more means like final or end, uh, like more means the the day of the apocalypse it's like you know sort of that kind of end end times so he said i made an end of it pretty quick i just looked up at a tree that towers above me see attached photo oh i guess he sent the photo pretending uh, pretending to fling a razor blade at it and yelled that's the end of you so right so he's got the tree which is one prop and then the uh, razor blade which is the other prop side note it's interesting to note that the first time i encountered encounter a mostly new sentence, meaning containing words I haven't spoken out loud before, I struggled to get the words and intonation to come out correctly, and at about one-fourth of normal speaking speed. After they roll around the deck a few times, they must they just roll off the tongue. And if anything, I have to make myself slow down to keep down with Annie and Jerry. This stuff is awesome moving forward. That's great to hear. Yeah, that's a thing that can happen with the sentences, especially when you're first starting. I know that Al is like uh, in phase three of the course, I believe, right now, which is when sentences start. And uh, yeah, it's it's that sense of like when you first start off with the sentences, it's going to be tough. Like It's not like you're going to be able to instantly articulate them easily, but that's the beauty of Anki. Like One of the things I find with people a lot of times is that they'll discover that their first time going through something, they struggle and they're like, well, this is really hard. I don't know if I can handle this. And it's like, it's a completely normal feeling. I get it. We all get it. And we just forget how quickly our brains are able to adapt if we just give ourselves some rest, which is exactly what Anki does. Anki gets it so that you see it and it's hard and you're like, geez, that was hard. But then you move on and you do other things and you let your brain go away from that difficult thing. And 
your unconscious is an incredibly powerful element of your brain. It's it's more powerful than your conscious mind by like you know, many thousands of times. And so by giving it a chance to just sort of stew with the idea, then when it comes back and it's recalled from your long-term memory, then you'll be surprised at how much you were actually unconsciously practicing it during that time. And uh, it's an amazing thing about our brains. So when you use Anki, that's what ends up happening. And it's great to see that you're even getting to the point where you need to slow down to keep down with Annie and Jerry. I like that. Annie and Jerry, of course, being native speakers. Next, Joseph Sutcliffe by email. Hi, Luke and Phil. I would like to quickly leave a review and tell you how thrilled I am with the Mandarin Blueprint course so far. I am studying and working full-time at the moment, so my progression through the course is quite slow. But so far, it has been fantastic. I have spent a short period of time living in Beijing and studying at the Confucius Institute, and neither has helped me develop an understanding of the language like the Mandarin Blueprint. Pronunciation mastery is able to break down what seems like endless waves of similar sounds that can make a huge difference when using Chinese in the real world. Additionally, the way it breaks down pinyin into recognizable sounds and points out small tricks that uh, really go a long way to help. Although in lockdown, I have been able to... Uh, I have been able to have some basic conversations over Instagram voice messages with Chinese friends in Melbourne and around the world. I am far from perfect in how I speak, but that has not stopped them complimenting my pronunciation or being able to understand any feedback they have given me when I go back to reference the videos on Mandarin Blueprint. After the virus passes, I am planning to travel to uh, SJTU to complete a master's in political science and develop my language skills. The Mandarin Blueprint has been the first educational tool that has given me hope that the latter is not beyond me. I hope the next stages of the course are as effective as pronunciation mastery, but there is nothing to suggest it won't be best Joseph Sutcliffe. Well, I'm thrilled you're having such a good time. And yeah, that's great to hear that your Chinese friends are complimenting your pronunciation. Not surprising that our pronunciation course is pretty comprehensive. So, uh, and that's a great idea that Joseph has there for anybody listening. You know, going on Instagram, finding some Chinese people on Instagram that are willing to trade some voice messages. Why not? I mean, voice messages are great because... Usually there's an option to cancel them. So if you want to start saying something and you realize oh, this isn't working, you can just cancel the message and try again, uh, which is nice. You know, that's not something you could do if you were in regular conversation. So uh, that's uh, a really good piece of advice there from Joseph. It's also very um, – uh, you're doing a good job of taking the bull by the horns. So well done, and um, best of luck moving into the Mandarin Blueprint method. You will not be disappointed. Another email from Al. He says – one interesting thing I've been finding with your system is that it even works when I get my props confused in that once I've really learned the props, which with some of them takes extra time, I find that I notice when I use the wrong props in a character. Case in point. I've been reviewing several characters today. Most recent one is in that contains the da prop, which in my usage is the giant Paul Bunyan. However, when I was learning the Pitbull character, Chen. I chose Hulk, Dog Dynasty, the Pitbull, because he is a huge Pitbull and therefore easy to remember. Over the past two days, as I do my Anki reviews, I've probably found more than half a dozen characters, not sure exactly how many, where I had written my movies with the Pitbull prop, instead of the correct prop, which in my case is Paul Bunyan. But what I've discovered is that when I go through the reviews and see the character and then play the movie back in the theater of my mind is that right away I recognize that something is wrong with the script. I think it through, and each time I realized that I used an incorrect prop. Here's my kanfa on this, <laughs> this is opinion. Because of the way the Mandarin Blueprint method uses memory, I see the progress as holographic. This actually ties in with my little boy of how I understand the brain to work, uh, at least from some science articles I've read. Apparently, at least in some cases, brain injury patients who have lost some memories with permanent damage to parts of the brain, where it was previously assumed was the sole location for memories to be sto stored, have been able to recover at least some memories. This seems to indicate that different parts of the brain, to at least to some extent, 
are capable of sharing the job, or perhaps sharing the load might be a better, better way to say it, of storing thoughts and whatnot. Uh, just as a my point here, I, I'm also aware of some of this research, and it's surprising. It, memory is actually stored all over the brain, it seems, uh, and which is the point that Al's making here, which is sort of surprising. You would think that it would be like, here's your memories in this like hard drive in your brain, but it doesn't really work like that. It's there. It's because a lot of memory is tied to senses, and the different senses are not all uh, functioning in one part of your brain, right? Half of your brain is dedicated to visual uh, functioning, which is pretty incredible. It's all more or less just theory at this point, as I understand it. But as the decades roll by, we will undoubtedly learn, hopefully exponentially, uh, more about such things. But in the meantime, purely on a subjective level, I am finding that the premise seems to hold true to whatever extent as I learn words and characters. It's a truly fascinating thing to look at how we are, we ourselves learn something, even while we learn it. But for me, at least, I find it even more fascinating to observe how the mind is able, if given the right tools for the job, to actually discern with some efficiency when a mistake is made. I don't recall ever having that happen when learning things top down. Exactly. That's so important because bottom-up learning, what it does is you're creating the foundation first. And therefore, if you picked up the wrong brick to put in the next slot, it's just a matter of repla replacing that wrong brick with the right brick. But if you learn top down, and like, I don't know, you, the analogy might be something like you start to build the roof before you finished building the second floor of a three-story, or of a two-story two house, then the roof is going to be flimsy. And if it falls, it goes all the way to the ground and you have to completely, like you, you imagine that, if you're trying to build an upper level and you build like a, a the the roof above it and a piece of it falls out, it might knock over many other pieces of it and it all falls to the ground. Whereas when you're building a foundation first, you know you just replace the missing uh, the the wrong piece with the right piece, and it's a lot simpler to uh, fix the mistake. And so that's a great point that Al's making. He also sent us another email. He was a uh, he was on a. He was really thinking philosophically the other day and sent us a few emails, but they're all great. So he sent us another email saying, one other thing that seems to be happening more freely now as All right. So this is a, by the way, it, you should say, right? So I get why he said this, uh, but it's interesting when there's a movement based uh, verb, like for exa example, chu or zhou or zuo. Zuo means to sit. So when there's a movement-based based verb, you switch where you put zai. So normally you would say, I would say, which means I'm at home recording a podcast. But that's saying where I'm at in a non-movement-based sense. Um, like, isn't a movement-based verb. It's just a recording podcast, not movement-based. But if I say, that's like I go from standing to sitting. So there's movement involved. If that's the case, you say, which means I'm sitting on the chair, right? I, and so... That's just a little point there, but I do appreciate that Al is trying to output as much as he can, and uh, so just bear that in mind in the future. Uh, so you're, what you're trying to say there is one thing, uh, one other thing that seems to be happening more freely now as I sit on my chair, as I, as 我坐在椅子上, is that as I roll through the decks, perhaps because I am outdoors today and feel somehow more free, the movies are almost automatically playing in front of me. See, uh, let's see, as I see each character. I reviewed, and right away there was a big glass made with top-secret alien technology sitting in front of that sea can that you can see in the photo. So if there's a photo uh, of Al's backyard uh, that's in the show notes, and you can check it out on the video as well, uh, but if it's... Um, if you're just listening to the audio, it's just a there's a there's a can that you can see in the photo. So he says uh, inside was the Chatterer Tenobite Google Hellraiser movie. For more info on that, as my uh, uh, pen props, so this is the the prop that surrounds the other prop. Okay, so inside was the Chatterer Tenobite as my pen prop with a pile of dirt hovering over him in midair. 
inside the glass cage. Jet Li ran up, leaped onto the top of the sea can, and dropped down through a hole that is located at the top of the cage, which I've just discovered is about five or six feet taller than the sea can. I, a fight then ensued between them, which lasted for a full week <laughs> before uh, Jet Li jumped up the dirt pile and exited uh, the enclosure, leaving the chatterer behind. During the fight, um, hooked chains shot out from the nether regions of hell, <laughs> extra dimensionally, and dug into Jet's flesh as the two of them fought. Jet, of course, had his own superpowers by virtue of his playing the lead role in the The One movie. So there was no clear victor in the battle. What's interesting, though, is that all of what I've just described took place in a matter of seconds, right in front of me. It's like having a very lucid dream while wide awake, in the sense that I decide what happens, what is allowed to happen, and how and when it happens, etc. This is powerful stuff. A few weeks ago, it was a real struggle just to do a simple Hensa movie. Now I find that as I roll through the decks, I am constantly tweaking them, typically to simplify the script and toss out unneeded cruft. Cruft, I haven't seen that word in a while. One wonders what other practical applications there could be for such techniques. Maybe stock markets? Who knows? <laughs> I remember reading through a book called Mega Memory by Gary Trudeau. This was roughly 25 years ago. It was a fascinating concept, and mainly out of curiosity, I attempted to employ his methods, similar in ways to yours, to learn the names of about 30 people that I had just met. As we all sat in an introduction circle, this was 1993. I found that I was easily able to say the names of everyone in that room, and I was just as shocked by it as the others uh, present as the others present seemed to be. Decades later, I've forgotten almost everyone who was there. It was a mere point of curiosity at that point in time, and seemed like an awful lot of work to actually make myself go through the motions of linking all those names together. And truth be told, it was a lot of work mentally. It was tiring. Looking back, I realized that I never saw any real practical application for such methods and also had no idea that although it felt quite unnatural to me then, it could get easier with time and constant application. Much easier. It took my somewhat casual interest in Mandarin Chinese to give me that impetus needed to be willing to exercise some long, unused mental faculties to discover that with constant application, not only is the process not tiring now, but also feels like second nature. So... This is uh, hitting on some advanced sort of thoughts I've had about this before in terms of what it is that, you know, these mnemonics really provide for you. Because I mentioned before that I first learned about mnemonics in elementary school from Mr. Oates, my fourth grade teacher. And I actually had a similar thought and I've had similar thoughts in throughout my life until I got to using mnemonics to learn Mandarin, which is like, uh, what am I really going to use this for? Because sure, you could put it in, you could put in some mnemonic work to remember certain things, but like, I didn't have enough of a reason why, because again, when you start off, it's not that easy. Like, it's like, sure, it's maybe more memorable, but it, it like you said, it's fatiguing. But once you, but you, you got to the other point, which is that as you continue to develop the skill. It's like any other skill, it gets easier. This is such a huge part of education. Education always starts off with frustration in the fact that you can't immediately do it. Like you're not immediately a natural. And sometimes you're a natural at something and that's great when that happens and it's good to discover that. But for the most part, you're not a natural in the things that you learn, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn it. And once you accept that, okay, I am gonna suck at whatever I'm doing for a while, like some period of time. But then after I do that, I will have a general grasp of all the things I'm trying to do and it won't be nearly as difficult. It'll be orders of magnitude less difficult. And so, for example, a lot of times when you start a new job, you can't believe how much work it would be just to do certain, a number of things. Like it could be a simple job. It could be like you're washing dishes and then you feel like, uh, there's so many dishes, how am I ever going to keep up with it? But as you do it, you're going to figure out techniques to do it quickly and to do it efficiently. And then next thing you know, you're going to be able to get it done so fast. You know, like, here's an example, a personal example from my life recently. It's just that re we've recently had a lot more uh, sort of customer input to the Mandarin Blueprint uh, website and our email and whatever. And a lot of times I need to answer questions um, relatively efficiently so that I can get to my other tasks, right? And uh, it can sometimes feel overwhelming. It's like there's so many messages coming in. But when I get 
faster at doing it. I sort of have a system and it kind of ends up going quite quickly and I get everything to inbox zero and next thing you know, I'm fine with everything that's happened. And so I've kind of sharpened the saw of how to quickly uh, respond to people and get them what they need. And at the beginning of that, that was very intimidating and now I feel like no stress about it whatsoever. So, you know, you're really hitting on a lot of great points here, Al, and I appreciate you sending the emails in to share your thoughts about this because now I can share them with the uh, larger community and I'm sure that other people will find that very valuable. So thanks so much. Next, we have an email from Norman. Norman says, hi, Phil. My reason for wanting to learn Mandarin? Well, I am married to a Chinese woman. That's a good reason. When we met in China 18 years ago, she didn't speak any English, so we used an interpreter while I was in China. When I returned home to Australia, we met on Skype for quite a long time, and during that time, she learned a little English, and then when I finally married her, she immigrated to Australia and then took ESL lessons. Her English is quite reasonable, but she is stalled at a low level and doesn't want to go further. Australia has a large Chinese community, and therefore she really has no need to go further. That's, that is definitely the truth. There's a lot of Chinese communities in, uh, well, it's just all over the world. There's a Chinese diaspora, really. And, uh, they have their own communities and they, they stick together. So a lot of times, um, Chinese people will, uh, not necessarily know as much English if they're in an English-speaking country, but for those of you Mandarin learners, that's good because that means that they won't fall back on English if you uh, go to a Chinese community and see if you can make some friends. Anyway, back to Norman's email. I am interested in speaking Mandarin so that I can have a better relationship with her and with her daughter and the daughter's husband. By the way, the daughter and husband speak good English, but whenever they are together, all they speak is Chinese, so it is very difficult and even frustrating for me to sit and not know anything about what they're talking about. I'm feeling very overwhelmed at the moment because I seem to be getting an overload of information from your course. I've studied the first three parts, and using the Anki decks, I feel that I'm doing well, but also decide to go back over the first three parts to consolidate my learning. I assume that he means the first three units of uh, the pronunciation mastery. I haven't been studying Ch the Chinese characters as is suggested as well, so I need to start that. I want to take my time, but at the at the same time, I feel I'm moving forward, which is not, um, I want to feel like I'm moving forward, which is at the moment not happening. So there you have it. I'd like to hear your comments on my situation. Well, I mean, so it relates very well back, back to what I just, uh, was talking about with Al. At the moment, you're still in that stage where it hasn't, um, uh, it hasn't sort of gotten to the point where your basic system is down and therefore gets easier. So my basic suggestion would just be keep going. And if you feel overwhelmed, just add less new content each day and make sure you're staying on top of your Anki. The biggest key right now in your stage is making sure that Anki becomes a daily habit. And once it's been a daily habit for even just 14 days, maybe, uh, you'll find that it becomes like brushing your teeth. Uh, certainly for a month. Like if you just do it every day for a month, it'll become a normal everyday activity and that will help hugely. And of course, you always want to make sure you don't overload how much you do uh, each day. So um, you'll be fine uh, as long as you just keep going. And I know that that can sometimes be an annoying answer. It's like, just keep going. But I promise you, as you continue, you'll start to have enough of a wide understanding of what you're covering that it will feel less intimidating as you move on. If you're only in unit three of the course, you're, you're still really early. So, uh, and you do have this great motivation. So when you're feeling like, I'm not sure if I'm moving forward, the what will help you keep going should be the uh, thoughts about trying to have a better relationship with your wife. So that's, uh, that's some good stuff, Norman. Thanks for writing in. Christopher Millsap on Pick a Prop for Ban. He says, thanks guys, got it, super clear now. I figured out where I was confused and it's not with the prop of the character and the component being the same. So Christopher had originally asked a question about why do we learn the character for Ben and then learn a prop for it right after? Uh, isn't it just horns, uh, twins, and a stick? And I said, basically, well, Ben is a major character in uh, other characters like Pan Duan the Pan, which has um, you know, ban on the left side of that character. And so therefore it's better to just have one prop for all those, uh, for all of that than having three. And so that's what he's responding to. It's the keyword connection and component being the same. So for example, 
for Ben. My keyword connection is a half pint of beer. Also, my prop for Ben component is a half pint of beer. That This is perfectly acceptable, yeah? You guys rock. Thanks again. Yeah, that's absolutely acceptable. It doesn't have to be that your keyword connection ends up being the prop, but it could be. So if your keyword connection ends up being a half pint of beer, a half pint of beer is a perfectly fine uh, prop, so you could do that. That's perfectly uh, acceptable. Howard So on Anki Dexon's side. Now just look how solid that foundation is, which is the end of the foundation course. He says, hey, Phil and Luke, thanks for putting this together. It's been a fun learning journey. It took me just over a couple of months to get here, and I am eager to get started on the next phase. Before that, I was hoping to get your advice on the following. Please excuse the long post. One, I've gone through the course relatively quickly, so I have a backlog of several several hundred new Anki cards. I don't feel 100% confident about my recall just yet. I'm planning to hold back on learning new words for two to three weeks and just review more new cards so I can get the Anki number down to a more manageable level. Would it be better to just keep going? So I'll answer that question first. So uh, really... I mean, it sounds like you did a thing that a lot of people do, which I can't say is absolutely wrong, but it's not the way I would do it, which is uh, it seems that you've decided to um, do a bunch of learning on the site and then later go and unsuspend the Anki cards. And that's an okay way to do it. But I prefer, and I recommend that you do this moving forward, to unsuspend the cards in Anki that you specifically studied that day. Like if you studied a sentence that uh, on a certain day that's related to a new word you learned, unsuspend that sentence card before the end of your study session and make sure that you're never going too far ahead in the learning process as you are in the reviewing process. They should really be at the same time. And so if you're finding that uh, you're getting too far ahead, that means that you are going to struggle with your recall because you're not unsuspending an Anki card until days after you originally learned the concept. So, you know, you're a smart guy, Howard, so you might be able to handle that. But like, really, you should review the thing you learned the same day and then review it again tomorrow for it to have the most effectiveness. So um, what I would recommend is catching up with your Anki and then once you've caught up and your Anki and the learning content are the same, start the intermediate course. But as you're doing the intermediate course, stop your study session with 15 minutes remaining or however long it is and unsuspend the cards that are the exact cards you learned that day in Anki. Howard, second question. I am able to recognize certain characters immediately when I read them, but sometimes struggle recalling certain aspects of their movies. For example, I'll forget the location or a prop but I've probably read them so often that I've acquired them in a top-down fashion. Well, it wouldn't be entirely top-down because you originally had the movie, but I see your point. Should I put in the effort to recall the details just in case, or is it safe to assume that I have them down cold now? Well, as long as you know the components, the meaning, and the opinion, initial and final, and tone, then you've got it. So just judge yourself on how well you know the character. It is okay to forget the movie as long as you've gotten to the point where you see the character enough in context that you've properly acquired it. Like an analogy to English would be at some point you, like for example, this sentence is, or this lesson is called, now just look at how solid that foundation is. The word foundation wasn't always in your vocabulary. At some point during your childhood, it entered your vocabulary. And then you saw it enough that you'll never forget it ever again. So the Hansa movie method is meant to get you from knowing nothing about the character to seeing it in context enough that you'll never forget it again. And so that may very well be the case, in which case it doesn't matter that you've forgotten the movie. So uh, I would say that, but I would say that... Um, you just have to ask yourself that question. Is there any element of the character that I haven't properly memorized? And if that's so, you need to go back into your scene and uh, update it. Howard's third question. I'm struggling with writing words that sound similar. For example, is it yun qi or yun qi, which is a different qi there. Um, reading is fine, but it's tricky when I write as I need to know the precise word. Any advice? Well, I mean... That's an example of when you see qi, the first one. They're, they're, the, they're a similar character, except the only difference is that the second qi has the water component on the left, and it means vapor, whereas the first one um, means, like, air and gas, or it can mean, like, uh, 
some a more metaphorical air that somebody has. Like, um, uh, nanzitsi is like a masculine air about the, a person. And so, whereas the qi with vapor is more like, for example, qi chu is an uh, uh, automobile. And so, it's like, it's saying using, uh, you know, burning the uh, gas and creating the vapor to... Um, power the vehicle and the small explosions to power the vehicle. So what will happen is that as you understand the different characters, because you've seen them in different words, you'll start to know, well, it's not going to be yun qi as in vapor, because we're talking about luck here. So yun qi, he's got the lucky air about him. So it's it's the kind of thing where as you understand the characters more by seeing them in different contexts, then it'll be harder to get it wrong. So while I understand the concern, I don't think, I think it's the type of thing that's just going to fix itself as you continue to move forward. Um, so thanks, Howard. Thanks for bringing in those questions, and I hope that was helpful. Next, we have a comment from Charlie Weston on bonus. Strategy is everything while learning Chinese. He says, I really val value hearing your experiences, Phil, because it's so similar to the frustration I've had with Chinese. You've helped me bring back Bring me back from the brink of just packing it all in. Thank you. Yeah. So that video is about kind of how I um, struggled with Chinese at the beginning because of all the materials that were so frustrating, textbooks, classrooms, all that stuff. And so it sounds like Charlie's been in that case, in that situation before. So yeah, totally get it. And I absolutely empathize. And, you know, I'm glad that you didn't pack it in because, you know, that feeling of I'm about to give up comes right before you're about to never give up. It's kind of an interesting recognition that I've sort of had a few instances in my life where I've gone, oh, after I thought about giving up and didn't, I never considered giving up again. So it is true that what comes right before never giving up is really wanting to give up. Or put another way, what comes right after really wanting to give up is never giving up. So I think that you're probably set for... Uh, your Mandarin learning journey at this point, Charlie, in terms of motivation. Barry Hill on nasal final ang bang. Uh, thank you for your reply. It was very reassuring. I was kind of, Barry had asked a question that was sort of related to how am I going to handle all of the different um, sounds of the language? Am I going to remember all these things? And I gave an answer uh, via short screen share video. I have downloaded the Pinion app and will use that as well. My only question is, can I reset the Yankee cards to let me practice more than once a day? At the moment, it says after one round that it's uh, already finished for the day. Incidentally, my, par my partner is Chinese and isn't a great help, but your course is the best, most useful and clear course I have done. Thank you. Well, you know, if you're finding that you want to review more, I wouldn't recommend over-reviewing an Anki because that kind of assumes that there's not new stuff that you could review, and there absolutely is. Of course, there's plenty of new content you could continue to add. So if you're finding that I'm not reviewing enough, I'm not having enough content come into my, uh, you know, my Chinese studying life each day, that just tells me learn more content and unsuspend more Anki cards, get into the Mandarin Blueprint method, and there's endless content there. You're never going to be lacking for content with the Mandarin Blueprint method, so if you're finding that you want to review more than once, then uh, you should just add more content. Why? Because the Anki algorithm is based on years and years of research, and so the idea is that it's as I mentioned before, it's better to recall things from your long-term memory to solidify the neural connections that relate to that idea. So if you can imagine that uh, you've got a neural connection that gets created the first time that you run across a new fact, it's not going to be strong, but you see it again in 10 minutes, you've added uh, a layer of strength to it. There's actually... Um, a layer of fat that gets placed on the uh, the neuron, and I've forgotten the name of it right now. I'm sure that I'll remember it, <laughs> you know, later today. But there's a sort of layer of uh, fat that gets placed in the neuron, which actually helps keep the electrical signals from dispersing. And so myelin, myelin sheaths, that's what it is. Um, so myelin sheaths start forming around the neuro neural connection. And if you can imagine that electricity that's traveling between one neuron to the rest, if there's not a good 
it's like a wire. It's like a, you know, you imagine the plastic around a wire. That's what keeps the electricity in and not just dispersing into the air, right? So every time you review, you add myelin to these uh, neural connections called the axon. And um, the when, so each time you do it, you add it. But what adds the most myelin? You could add it like, ask it like that. Well, it's not just looking at the fact over and over in one study session. It's looking at the fact, understanding it, and then letting it go for a while, and then coming back to it after your brain's gone to a totally other place. And then you're able to add it more robustly. And then each time you do, you don't have to, uh, each time you add a sheath of myelin, it's just, I don't know if it's actually like literally a sheet, but let's just imagine it for the sake of understanding the metaphor. Each time you add a sheath of myelin, the uh, ability of the electricity to move between the axons of the neurons gets stronger and therefore doesn't need uh, to, you, you can wait longer before adding the next sheath of myelin. And that's what Anki does automatically. So it says, see this fact when it's new, then see it 10 minutes from now. Uh, you got it right again. Okay. See it one day from now, 24 hours. Okay. You got it right again. See it 72 hours from now. Got it right again. See it seven days from now. And each time you're making the connection stronger. So what that means is that you can actually, uh, you can actually be in a situation where you are, uh, getting more and more facts in because you're seeing and recalling the previous facts, the minimum amount necessary to still remember them. So therefore you can fit more. And that's why my ultimate uh, message to you, Barry, is to add more content if you feel that there's not enough that you're reviewing each day. And that should be good news because that means that you can uh, study faster, essentially. Rebecca McCarthy on bonus conversation connectors. She says, this is brilliant. I'm going to use this for my French students as well as for myself in any language. This course gets better and better. You guys put so much thought into Mandarin Blueprint Method. It is amazing. Uh, well, thank you, Rebecca. We just did a uh, uh, short case study with Rebecca. Hopefully that'll be out later this week. And um, yeah, she's uh, a French teacher. So that's that's cool. So you can take some of the um, educational materials and apply them to her French class. And yeah, the conversation connectors are cool. Like they're a really good idea for kind of helping you out with that. A lot of uh, helping you out in conversation to say things like, well, to tell you the truth, uh, frankly speaking, just things that are really not saying anything, but get, keep you speaking. Uh, that's really helpful. I will say though, we've kind of made a mistake with them in the sense that we've introduced them a bit early in the course. We should have waited to introduce them until later, but We'll fix that at some point amongst the many other tasks. Next, Phil Chalinor on time to get real about sentences. Really great. The only one I didn't recognize was huo, but when I read the translation, I was able to recall my Hanza movie for it, and it suddenly jumped out. Great stuff. Yes, yeah, see, once again, there's that foundation showing up, and it doesn't, building a foundation doesn't mean you never forget things. Of course you forget things, but it's way easier to fix it. Oh, the brick fell off, put it back on. And you know, so you forgot for a second, but then it came back and that's fantastic stuff. Phil, keep it going. Jack Brady on new vocabulary unlocked. This is in phase two. I agree. This course is so well done and intricately planned by using old vocab and sentences we've learned already. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I'm glad to hear that. And you know, it's true that we put a lot of thought into what's going to come up for you. And it's not necessarily obvious to the learner, but I'm glad to see that you can uh, uh, pick that up there. So that's great. Dom Thompson on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Menko. Good question here. He says, question about ilo and arlo. So ilo and arlo are basically uh, first floor, second floor. Uh, he says, in English, the first floor is up one flight of stairs. Uh, and what he means is, I guess he means British English. Uh, the first floor is up one flight of stairs from the ground floor. In Mandarin, does ELO refer to street level or the level above that? Uh, street level. Uh, that's, I mean, there may be exceptions, uh, obviously, somewhere in the certain buildings. Uh, but yeah, generally speaking, ELO is uh, on the ground floor. So good question there. And I did learn that. In America, it's also first floor tends to be the ground floor. But uh, I know that in England, it can be the other way around. Rudolf Krampaski on new vocabulary unlocked for Shinti, and uh, he's uh, we did a, we did do a case study with him uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, he says our grammar building has this uh, sentence: 
你身体看起来不舒服? Um, you look under the weather. Should it not be with the 的? 你的身体看起来不舒服? Similar to another sentence we have, 我的身体不舒服? 很想吐. Right, so this is a good question from Rudolph. The 的 can sometimes be omitted, and when it's most commonly omitted is when you have a very close relationship with the uh, object of possession. So, 你身体 your body. Well, you obviously have a very close relationship with your body. You are your body. So it's like the possession of your body is so close that it's like uh, the idea there is that you could omit the d if you want. But it's not required. You can add the d. So when they say, uh, that is a sentence where they didn't omit the d. So it's not a requirement to omit it, but you can. And that's all you need to know is that it's possible to do that. Next, we have uh, Al on level 21 complete. He says, Not wanting to be over-simplistic here, but while some great points were brought up in that video, I suggest that at the same time, we humans have a bit of a tendency, myself included, to overthink, overthink things when we are learning. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Perhaps that is more true with learning a new language than it is with most other things. With the above in mind, I'm going to suggest that it can actually be helpful to just take some things in stride and accept the clearer understanding will come later with use. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't agree more, Al. That's absolutely true. Um, for one example, uh, one example of this is hi and huan. There is a sentence I read today where the speaker says, in effect, I still haven't been paid back or something similar. I don't remember just at the moment. The same character occurs twice in the same sentence, each time with a different pronunciation. That's right. Yeah. So hi can mean still. And it can, if it's pronounced huan, exact same character, it means to return like, uh, you know, I'm returning a book or something. Taking into account that the speakers are Annie and Jerry, both native speakers, I just took the usage and pronunciation in stride, trusting that inasmuch as the native speakers are comfortable saying it that way, then it will make sense later, if not immediately, which it did simply because I accepted it in its context. So yeah, it's good to understand things, but it can also be good to let some things go, trusting that the understanding will come later. So I say, try not to sweat all of the details, guys. Well, I completely agree. This is so true. It's the same reason why when you get to the extensive reading phase of your Mandarin learning, where you're reading texts that you understand 98% of, part of the reason why that's such a good place to be is that you can just move past something you don't understand, and then it'll come up again later, and then you'll have more context by which to understand that. So absolutely agree. Don't get too caught up in the details, because what will happen is that it's like you think, it's like your brain thinks that if I don't get this now, I'll never get it. And it's just an incorrect premise. Just because you don't get it now does not mean you'll never get it. As a matter of fact, the fact that you don't get it now raises a question in your unconscious. And then later, that question will be answered. It will be because you're not going to stop reading the language. The language is going to, you're not learning Chinese just to stop at some point. You're going to keep going. So when that happens, you'll have more and more opportunities to recognize these things. Galia Warrior in You Did It. This is the final uh, lesson of pronunciation mastery. She says, Phew, I've done it. Wow, thank you very much. It's been the best habit I've picked up during these lockdown because coronavirus times. Really enjoyed your guidance through the unusual and tricky pronunciation points. I'm looking forward to continue exploring this language and 100% to get back to some of the videos of this course again and again. Well, yes, the pronunciation mastery is a great course to reference a lot in the future you can always go hey how is it again that you say the uh the c in chinese was it was it tai or something like that or tall or and it, how do i say that you can always go back to that and uh so remember that and remember to reference the google slides or the epub files depending on your platform there's always uh some good stuff that can help you practice so glad to hear you got through the course galia and uh look forward to seeing you in the mandarin blueprint method Trey Sisson on pick a prop for Tong. I'm a bit confused by the request to create a prop for a component that is also a character. In this case, I originally chose two umbrellas as suggested, uh, which were part of my movie scene for Tong. Now it seems like I should be coming up with a separate prop that represents the pair. For example, Siamese twins, ducklings, etc. Why not just imagine two umbrellas for the component? Why the request to have a separate prop? Thanks. It's because the full character Tong 
will be a component in more complicated characters. So there's, for example, Zhong adds another umbrella into the prop. You've got Tong Lin, the Tong, which adds a razor blade at the bottom. Um, you've got Zhong Hang, the Zhong, which means uh, that's uh, vertical. It's the, the character meaning vertical as opposed to horizontal. And so there's... All of those characters contain the entire character for Tong. And while you could imagine two umbrellas, by chunking it into one prop, you give yourself less things to remember in the future when learning those characters that contain the entire character Tong. So that's the answer, and I hope that makes that clear. Jack Blood on Unit 3 Wrap-Up. He says, man, my mouth's getting sore, which is uh, great. That means in the pronunciation mastery, he's practicing properly. It should be sore. It's just like how you feel after you've had a great workout and you go, oh, I'm sore, but like it's a good, it hurts so good. Uh, and that's that shows me that you're actually working on getting these mouth muscles to develop because they just haven't been developed because you weren't speaking Chinese. So for every part of Chinese that isn't coming from your native language background, you're going to have to build up those muscles. And so, of course, the beginning, they're going to be somewhat weak. And when you work them out, they're going to be sore. But in the same way that you know, you become less sore after going to the gym after you go enough times, then this, the same thing will happen with your mouth muscles. So uh, that's great to hear that that's the situation you're in at the moment, uh, Jack. And yeah, keep it up. The final section of the podcast today will be some movie scene shares that we got uh, coming in or people explaining how they took the actors' sets, props, and scripts to put together a scene to remember a movie uh, to remember a Chinese character. So first we have Jan Clayton on Make a Movie for Ban. So this is in phase one. She's very early. So let's see how she did. Um, it's character number six. She says, my friend Ben is in the bathroom of my apartment in Japan. Right off the bat, fantastic. B in Ban, because this character is pronounced Ban, is Ben. And the bathroom is fourth tone. And apartment in Japan, that's the A-N of the Ban. She says, we are off to a gay bar for Halloween, and he wants to be half devil and half Jesus, so he is wearing horns and wearing a huge gaudy crucifix around his neck. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. Ben decides he wants to be a smooth-shaven young Adonis, so asks to borrow a razor blade. I'm half and half, he says proudly, as we step out the door and guaranteed to be half cut in no time at all. Too broad to catch the meaning? No, I think you can very clearly visually explain that, especially if when he wants to be uh, a smooth-shaven young Adonis part, you could make that one half of him, right? So it could be like he shaves half of his body and he's got like a lot of body hair on the other side. So like one, maybe the body hair side is the, the devil side and the... Uh, the half side or the, the the shaven side is the Jesus side. And you've got, of course, having the uh, crucifix as one of the props makes the Jesus devil thing make sense because the horns is the other props. So you got the devil horns and the Jesus uh, um, crucifix. And so that's actually, that's fantastic. That's awesome. That's a, a really good use of the different props to come up with the meaning. So well done, Jan. You're, you're going to do really well with this. Not too broad at all. Next, Al Roy on Make a Movie for Sway. Uh, EI set in the kitchen. Regan McNeil from The Exorcist. Oh, yeah, she's a, a memorable character, the, the girl from The Exorcist. Uh, is sitting on a bloody red carpet on the floor in the kitchen at Jade Springs Restaurant. Propped up against a brick wall with her head twisted around backwards. That's what happened in the movie, sure casually watching Place Boing's new Joe Biden video. No wonder she's so twisted. I haven't seen this video, but he left a link in the description if you'd like to check it out. Superman shows up, dressed his casual duds, scoops up the girl. The, I wonder if that's a typo. Dressed his casual duds. I'm not sure what that means. Um, scoops up the girl, the carpet, and the brick wall, and takes them away. This is just a casual job for him, as he usually has bigger fish to fry. So, Regan is the representation of the, uh, the, the yo component, which means possessed, so she's possessed, obviously. 
and uh, she, there's a red carpet, and it's a bloody red carpet to make it even more visual, and um, the brick wall, it's propped up against the brick wall, and so the usage of casual here, it's, you're trying to cover it on a few different in a few different ways with Superman and also how she's casually watching the Joe Biden video. So sounds good to me. I mean, it, it, we'll see if you stick with the understanding that, that means casual moving forward. Um, but it very, very, very well may work. All right. Another one from Al on make a movie for Sin. The EN set in the backyard. My XI actress believes the meaning of the character that Chuck Norris and Donald Trump are literary legends. So she invites them to the backyard of an of the EN set so she can recite Vogon poetry to them. Some people never learn. <laughs> She's concerned that no one will believe that she had them over for tea. So she poses for a groupie photo with them while they're visiting. Right, so this means believe. And so uh, that makes sense. I guess, you know, the believe... Um, <laughs> also, that they're literary legends, so I guess that's the right side component there with the literary uh, section to it. And yeah, I think this will work. I, I let's see here, Shin. I'm not exactly sure where, how exactly Donald Trump fits into this. I guess maybe he's the right side component. Chuck Norris is obviously the left side component. Um, and I certainly get the idea of no one will believe this, so take a photo. That That's a strong enough connection in all likelihood. I guess Donald Trump's the representation of the right side. Um, I'd be curious to hear why you uh, went with that, um, Al, because I'm not quite seeing the connection there. But still, it'll probably work. Final one for today is from Dan Helslut. Dan Helslut on Make a Movie for Boo, which means do not or no. Batman is in the bathroom of my childhood home. He stares at his reflection in the mirror, and you can see he has a uh, samurai sword and razor blade attached to his back with the magic wand in his hands. Yeah, nice. Okay, so razor blade, samurai sword, magic wand, those are the three... Um, with those three props with the magic wand in his hand he points at his reflection in the mirror and suddenly it is not there anymore then he points to himself and he himself is not there anymore leaving an empty eerie scene yeah this is this is good because we have not expressed by the disappearance and that's that's cool i would say the sword and the razor blade aren't very um involved in the scene so like uh I, i'm not sure exactly let's think, think about how you might um make that work maybe what you could do is before uh he does the magic wand thing he takes the razor blade to draw a big circle right and then he takes a samurai sword to draw a line through the circle so that in his reflection he sees himself with like the that sort of you know circle with the line meaning no or not not allowed and then he puts them on his back and then does the disappearing act. That might make it a little clearer because the sword and the samurai, uh, the samurai sword and the razor blade aren't very involved in that scene. So once that's done, I think the scene will be perfect. So awesome, Dan. That's all for the Mandarin Blueprint podcast today. As, I, as you recall, I mentioned that the book Mastering Mandarin in the Modern World is now out. So check that out on our website and we look very much forward to seeing you next week. Take care.